Well, good afternoon and welcome to Your DIY Health here on the Spreaker Radio Network and simulcasting on Jitsi and free conference call. And uh, I'm your host, Sergeant Jim Ram, retired. You can call me Sarge. It is Thursday, April 27th, 2023. And uh, we're going to be talking history and constitutional issues and all kinds of stuff here with Mike and Cal and DW. But uh, before we do, I just want to say check out the website, yourdiyhealth.com. There's all kinds of information there, including the iTeraCare device, which is featured prominently at the top of the homepage. All the stuff is there, videos and brochures and flyers and all kinds of stuff to help you understand what these things are, what they do, and uh, how to place an order. So check out yourdiyhealth.com. That's Y-O-U-R-D-I-Y, like do-it-yourself, health, H-E-A-L-T-H, yourdiyhealth.com. And if you have any questions, hit the contact me button on the main website and send an email or call and leave a message. We'll get your questions answered as quick as we can, get you on the right track. And also, while you're there, be sure and hit the radio shows tab at the top of the page. It's linked to the archive page set up through castbox.fm. Uh, scroll down a little further, you'll see the information on the shows we do, when they're on, and how you listen, and that seems to be in flux these days. And then at the bottom of the page is the link to the Facebook page set up for the show, as well as the Telegram channel. That being said, we're going to go right to our guests, Mike and Cal and DW, and see what they've got for us today. Welcome, guys. How you all doing? Hey, for me, I'm doing real good, Sarge, here in the middle of sunshiny Georgia, except the sun ain't shining. It's cloudy. <laughs> Same here. And it ain't warm anymore, either. <laughs> no, it ain't. It's 58 here. Yeah, we've you know we've gone from winter to spring to summer, back to spring and back to winter, and there's been all kinds of craziness here in Ohio. But uh, hey, we're just here. That's a good thing. We're all here because we ain't all there. <laughs> all right, and a little trip down memory lane there for uh, for Mike during the uh, lead up to the show with a little Martin and Holiday music. Hope you enjoyed that. Loved it. Oh man. And uh, I get, I'm getting real attached to that stuff. I got to get some more, but uh, we'll uh, we'll just keep playing that. And we're it looks like Spreaker, looks like Jitsi is back uh, on track now. So we're we're doing both just to see who likes what. We've got uh, a couple of folks. We got Cody and Arkansan and in in Jitsi, and then we got a bunch of other folks in uh, free conference call and. Uh, but it looks like it's uh, they got things straightened out. It's working again. So uh, rather than going back and forth, I'm just going to let them both go and whoever, you know, because everybody can hear everybody now. So uh, we'll just, you know, use whatever you want to use. I'll keep them both going at least until it becomes a major headache. <laughs> but otherwise, uh, we'll just keep doing it. So anyway, what did you guys think about doing, talking about today? Well, uh, Jim, if uh, Cal and DW doesn't have anything special that they would like to bring up, the one thing that I, you know, it seems like every time I pick out a new document in these boxes that I have, seems like every time I pick out a new one, it takes me down a different rabbit hole. And uh, then uh, naturally, uh, being the uh, <laughs> crazy guy that I am, I have to start researching what I found. Uh, to find, uh, you know, correlating documents either to prove or disprove. And uh, that uh, one of the things that just struck me this morning about 5 o'clock when I was working on some stuff was the simple fact that this government or any government has no regard for anyone 
regardless of their race or their creed or their religion or anything else. The one thing about government it is, is that it is an equal opportunity uh, murderer, a killer of its own people. And history is full of that. And it just uh, struck me is that if we look at the fact that when the South decided to extricate themselves from the tyranny that was the government, well, the immediately, uh, well, uh, well, they've all got to be killed. Uh, we, we, we can't tolerate this. Uh, let's go in. Let's, uh, let's do genocide on everyone in the South, including the civilian population and including the blacks. That's the thing we get lost on was the fact that probably there were at least a half a million blacks died under control of the Union Army during the so-called Civil War. Now, try to get somebody to talk about that. But we have records from contraband camps all over the South, uh, Vicksburg, Mississippi, uh, Helena, Arkansas, uh, Nashville, Tennessee. I mean, in Vicksburg alone, in the uh, Devil's Punch Bowl, they found the remains of over 20,000. And who talks about that? And then, right after they decided that they would kill all of the people in the South, which was uh, actually... Uh, stated by uh, William Tecumseh Sherman, we might as well just kill them all. And he didn't say anything about saving the blacks. Just kill them all in the South, man and woman. And then, of course, then they turn that hatred on the American Indian. And I've got uh, in my collection some... Uh, actual testimony, which, uh, you know, something in the box of documents led me to this, but I went to actual testimony about some of the atrocities, some of the genocide created against the American Indian in the West after the so-called Civil War, and it is absolutely sickening, guys. So what's it going to take for the people of this country to realize that this government cares not whether you're white, black, brown, green, purple, sky blue, pink. It makes no difference what color you are. If you contradict the government, their answer is your death. And I just don't understand why people still have faith in this machine. And it's beginning to be somewhat perplexing. Uh, hey guys, jump in, help me out here. Am I completely off, off the planks here? I want to jump in real oh, no. quick and apologize. Oh. I was chewing a cookie, and I thought I had my mic muted. I apologize for the crunching. <laughs> Go yeah. ahead, DW. Oh, okay. Everybody can hear me okay? All right. Loud and clear. Uh, <clears throat> okay. Well, um, you know, as usual, Mike, you you sort of uh, render it all down to uh, the uh, fundamental questions. Uh, it's fairly... Uh, common seems to be a habit you have of doing that but um, on the surface I would you know just my quick response is that they uh, personally have no uh, imagination as to what an option could be uh, 
they're perfectly happy, uh, content, uh, wanting, needing, uh, desiring direction and order. This is why they call them leaders, because they fundamentally cannot lead themselves. They fundamentally do not want to accept their responsibility and the duties associated with freedom and liberty. They do not want these things. They want a simulation of those things, and they want to be uh, virtue signaling as to their exceptionalism and indispensability and their virtue, but they don't really want to do it. They want to operate as a gang. They want to be a member of the gang. The Their leaders treat them as if they were members in a gang, and uh, they give them the benefits, uh, a cut, of being a part of the gang. And uh, they say, well, you know, what were the benefits of being uh, part of that United States uh, citizen gang? Well, uh, to more or lesser degrees over the 20th century, you got to participate in what was actually a false prosperity. At the uh, uh, expense of everybody else, and you then wrap that up in a narrative and a mythology that says, "Well, no, we were fighting for uh, democracy and freedom and liberty," and so then you uh, ingrain that and train that into your mind. After a while, you actually believe it. The ones that didn't believe it, it had long been dead, and then you pass that culturally on to the next set of talking heads and educators and media people, and they perpetuate the myth, and so that's, that's <laughs> my long-winded uh, remark, uh, response, Mike, Cal, what's your shot? <laughs> I, I share the sentiments that Mike expressed there, I mean, how many people hold the view or understand that, say, 9-11 was an inside job? Well, that means that the government that they support killed their fellow American citizens. Yet they still vote for the people in this government that killed their fellow American citizens. And you know, knowing that it's an inside job, has anybody been ever held to account for that? Has anybody been held responsible? No. Never. But they still support <laughs> the government. I, I, it, 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 yeah, I'm, I'm perplexed as you are with this, Mike. I mean, you asked a question today on, on Facebook that says, why is it most folks say the media is lying until the media tells a lie they want to believe? And I'm kind of like, well, if most folks say the media is lying, why do they even listen to the media anymore? I mean, if I constantly lied to people, would you pay attention to me? Ever again? But the people, you know, they, they know they're lied to, yet they belly back up to the bar for more lies. I I don't get it, Mike. I, I really only, don't. It, are people devoid of any morals or principles? Yes. Only if you and change your only if you change your name to government would people believe you if you were a pathological liar. Well, only if you change your name to government could you get away with going to your neighbor's house and killing them for things that you want. Exactly. What is it about people that if they 
put the title of government by it, that all of a sudden all this stuff that you view as immoral uh, and wrong become, oh, now they're moral and they're okay to do. I, I don't understand that. <laughs> if it's wrong for me to do it, then it's wrong for a group of me's to do it. I, I'm perplexed too, Mike. I, I totally am. Well, uh, here's one thing. Let me throw this in before I go uh, too much farther, before we go too much farther. Uh, uh, DW, you're familiar with my friend Oscar Stilley, right? Oh, yeah. We interviewed him one day. Okay. Well, I had about a two-hour conversation with Oscar this week, and... Um, we, we went into quite some detail about a lot of things. Now, for you folks who are unfamiliar with Oscar, Oscar is off the charts brilliant. He has an IQ of in the 180s or more. And he was an attorney in uh, Arkansas. And Oscar was one of those rare breeds. Oscar wanted to fight for what was right. And he would uh, take on any case, even if he didn't get paid, if he thought that the person had been uh, mistreated by the system. And he took on a gentleman, a case of a gentleman uh, who uh, in uh, uh, Fayetteville, uh, Arkansas, had uh, at the American Legion or what have you, he had built a reproduction of a 50 caliber machine gun, had no firing pin, had nothing else, and he had set it out. Uh, as as a display for their American Legion. Well, uh, he also owned about 60 acres, which Walmart wanted to buy, and he refused to sell it because it was family. It had been handed down from his great-grandfather, and he wanted to hand it down to his children. And so he refused to sell it. Well, suddenly, and I can't prove a connection here, but suddenly there's about... 30 federal and state agents surround Wayne's home and charge him with building an automatic weapon, which was the 50 caliber weapon. He had the BATF, he had the FBI, he had the state police, he had the local sheriff's department, he had SWAT teams from outside of his own county that show up at, and they arrest him and put him in, put him in jail. Well, his case is to be held before a federal judge in Little Rock, Arkansas. And Oscar represented him. And Oscar turned the court on its head. And he was even told, and this is an official document, he was told by the federal judge, a George W. Bush appointee, do not bring up the Constitution in my classroom. I mean in my courtroom, sorry. Do not bring up the Constitution. The Constitution is no defense in my courtroom. Well, Oscar goes a little ballistic on him. And then Oscar would also take people's cases where he felt like they had been wronged by the IRS and other government agencies. Well, suddenly, Oscar gets charged by the federal government with tax evasion. And they hold his trial not in Arkansas, as is required by Article 5 of the Constitution, but they took him all the way to far western Oklahoma, Elk City, and put him 
at trial in front of a federal judge who found him guilty and sentenced him to 15 years in prison for tax evasion. Of course, the tax evasion was never proved. Oscar served 10 years, lost his family, and lost his wife. He told his wife before he left, go ahead, I'll give you a divorce. Do your life because it's not going to be fair for you to be stuck in this situation. Oscar does 10 years, and then he's released. And he's released for a short period of time, and I helped, and my good friend in uh, northwest Colorado, Mike Clifford, helped him get a job so he could have a release. And then he challenged his own conviction in the federal courts. And he was then recalled not too long ago into Oklahoma before the same judge who sentenced him before. He's recalled. Ironically, and Oscar provided this for me, ironically in sentencing him back to three months in prison again for filing petitions to prove he was wrongfully convicted, the judge actually put on the record what I'm doing is illegal, but I don't think they can call me on it. That's in the record. And uh, how does anyone think they're ever going? And, you know, Oscar went through so many stories with me about people he had been in a federal prison with who had just been railroaded in there because they challenged the government. And we talked about being stupid enough to paint a target on your back which I think many of us have already done. But we had quite the conversation, and we went into quite a few subjects. And, uh, Jim, I would like to ask for your permission to have Oscar come on with us at some point in time. I think it would be a real enlightenment for the people in our group. Definitely. I would love to have him on. He's got and stories he, to tell. You know, he told me something and almost brought me to tears, guys, early this week because back when he was challenging the federal government, when he was challenging this judge, so many people, even some very good friends of mine in Arkansas, went to, went to Oscar and said, Oscar, please drop this. Don't get sent back to prison, buddy. It's not worth it. Don't challenge them. It's not worth it. Oscar ain't made that way. He couldn't do it. But I called Oscar in the midst of all of this. And I said, Oscar, I just want you to know one thing, buddy. We've known each other a long time. I support what you're doing. I know a lot of people are telling you, don't do this, don't do this. Just shut up and, and, and don't get sent back to prison. Just be quiet. Do whatever you need to do. And Oscar couldn't do it. And he, Oscar refused to do it. And I said, Oscar, you, are, you remind me of Jefferson Davis. Because Jefferson Davis had been put into prison for treason, had been there for over a year without a trial, without even a hearing or anything else. He was being tortured while he was in prison. And then the federal authorities came to Jefferson Davis and said, look, we'll offer you a pardon. And Jefferson Davis said, a pardon for what? 
I'm not going to ask you for a pardon for something I didn't do. I did not commit treason. I will not lower myself to beg you to offer me forgiveness for something I did not do. And that's why I feel like, and I told Oscar, and he and I were, <laughs> you know, we were kind of emotional at the time. And I said, I feel like you're a clone of the Jefferson Davis spirit, my friend. So I would like to bring him on, but I don't want to babble on here forever. Uh, Cal, DW, your comments, please. Well, uh, I'll take a shot at that. Uh, we had an interesting uh, conversation with Oscar when he came on a show with us a couple of years ago. Some of you might remember called Addicted to Your Own Destruction, uh, which is just a... Uh, it pretty much sums it all up in a sentence. Uh, and uh, Oscar, Oscar came on to speak with uh, Mike and I in the listening audience about a Supreme Court on abortion in Texas case he had filed. And uh, you know he he made he made quite a bit of waves over that. I think uh, he he got the attention of uh, people when he was on probation. He's on probation and he's the first he's the first uh, lawyer in the uh, attorney or anybody else for that matter in the country to under a new Texas abortion law to file a lawsuit. Uh, so he's a he's a bit of a lightning rod is so to speak Mike what you say and uh, he uh, he seems to operate on the principle, from what I can observe, that the uh, at several levels, but one of them is is that uh, he is he embodies and epitomizes the statement of make tyrants act like tyrants. And, oh yes. Uh, he he doesn't he doesn't yield on those first principles. This makes him particularly dangerous because he sets an example. He sets a standard for others that only pose as being uh, principled. And uh, <clears throat> so, of course, the people that want to continue to pose would rather have Oscar Stilley probably, uh, uh, you know, disappeared into the federal judicial system so they're not held to the standards that Oscar presents. Uh, he embarrasses them in their own uh, timidness and, uh, and uh, he uh, he also I might want to add this here I think it should be acknowledged uh, besides everything else that he's been up to and doing he wrote a book and the book busting the feds busting the feds yeah. busting the feds and he uh, he writes this book i i don't know how many copies are out there he writes this uh, in 2021 or it's published in 2021 so um, he uh, <clears throat> he's not apologetic and uh, uh, you probably won't see him in an interview in a conversation with Chris Ann Hall in the near future. That probably won't happen. <laughs> I think you're safe. Yeah. Cal, what, what 
What you got there, Mike? Well, Mike mentioned that Oscar reminds him of Jefferson Davis, and what came to my mind was Patrick Henry. I mean, here was another man who didn't back down. He stood with, what was the term? Manly firmness? Yes. What's happened to that? We What's don't have happened it. happened to standing on that manly firmness? I mean, it took people like that to raise arms against their fellow British subjects. I'm talking about the Minutemen. And <laughs> bear down on them dead center. It, it takes manly firmness and resolve to be able to do that. I'm fully aware of that. Um but that happened back then. And these days, I don't see that manly firmness. I see people, like I said, going back to, to, to listen to the news lie to them, even though they know they're lying to them. I, I, it's perplexing, Mike. That's, well, we'll title this show Perplexing. Well, well Cal, uh, here's the one thing I would like to run by you before DW jumps back in here, and that is the fact is that Patrick Henry made a very ominous statement. Give me liberty or give me death. Now, how many people in America today would grab that very notion and hold on to it? What? Obviously not many. Obviously probably less than 1%, right? Exactly. Okay, give me government benefits or give me death. Give me Tucker Carlson or give me death. Give me anything in the world but give me death. That is the mantra of the American public. None of them would be willing to, or give me a lot of money, or give me a government job, or give me this or give me that. But no one has within their deep spirit liberty or death. It's just not an option. Am I wrong, DW? No, 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 not at all. Uh, it it's it, it really is all about the uh, simulation and imitation of uh, what you uh, want to project yourself as an identity. This is it's uh, it's deeply psychologically embedded in, into their their, uh, their character at this point. And uh, so <clears throat> I guess I would say that, Cal, uh, when you were asking that question, uh, I've, I've really pondered over this for literally years, uh, tried to look at all the angles, and I, I believe we have to consider that at, at a very real, not just theoretical level that it's been bred out of them, literally bred out of, uh, of men uh, in America and for the, and to some degree, a very uh, probably large degree all over Western uh, civilization, uh, they, uh, it's been bred, literally bred out of them at a, uh, a genetic level. They're domesticated. And and people will say, well, you know, we, we we have advanced. We're a part of civilization. I said, no, you you have degraded yourselves because what you're observing around you is being over civilized. You've been over civilized. And of course, there's this 
unrebuttable pattern throughout the last three thousand years of recorded history that these same same things take place over and over again it just happens to be on a on a scale never seen before in this occurrence so uh, it's uh, it's been bred out of him Cal that's that's part of it and uh, uh, I don't uh, I don't think you turn that around with a a, a rebranding and a promotional ads uh, to to inspire people you know <laughs> if you're waiting for Tucker Carlson and Donald Trump to inspire you uh, to action uh, I think I'll I think I'll spend time building another greenhouse uh, before I wait on those guys so Anyway. Well, absolutely, and uh, uh, just uh, so, uh, Jim, Cal, DW, uh, I asked uh, Oscar if he would be willing to come on with us, and he said he's working on a couple of briefs right now, and that as soon as he's finished, he would love to come on with us, but he also told me something else which was very alarming, and DW, you brought this up a maybe a week, two weeks ago about uh, the people in the federal penitentiary who were dieseled. Do you remember that? Yeah. Okay, well, Oscar was one of them because when Oscar got in and other inmates found out he was an attorney, they came to him with all of the crazy cases on how they had been railroaded into prison by the federal government. And as he says, some of them were true. Some of them were not. But he says the majority were true. The majority of the people he talked to had been railroaded into federal prison. So what Oscar did was he set, a, set about to use his expertise to help these people. So he started filing all kind of legal documents in their behalf. So guess what the federal government did to Oscar? Oh, well, let's uh, move you out of this prison and take away your access to a computer and let's put you on a Greyhound bus. And let's ride you around for a while, and then we'll stop you at another prison, and we'll let you out there. And if you get out and start filing other stuff, okay, well, we'll uh, just uh, take away your access to the Internet, and we, which they did on multiple occasions. And then they put him on another Greyhound bus or in a van, government van, and they dieseled him around to another prison institution. People, we are dealing with criminals here. Don't expect them to honor anything. It's just wrong. But uh, again, I, I really look forward to the fact that uh, uh, when uh, Oscar can join us here, guys. Um, and uh, DW, you've talked with him directly, have you? Yes, sir. Yeah. Okay. What are your thoughts? I believe that he's uh, uh, well. He's brilliant, uh, as you. Before well noted, he's also ornery, and he's contrary. <laughs> Real American, big time. And uh, and you, you uh, even if you think you want to be on his uh, side, you might find it difficult to understand him. Uh, that's uh, actually that's sort of the impression I was left with. Uh, after our interview is that I admired him but uh, I had a little hard time finding traction to where I could uh, uh, 
align myself with the arguments that he was making in that abortion case. So uh, it's... Uh, well, he and I had some discussions on that as well, buddy, and we didn't agree. And But yeah. uh, that's one of the things I love about him. We can agree to disagree. We'll just move right on. Yeah. He, he so, states his uh, side, I state mine, and we, we move on with the discussion. I think that... Uh, if you were ever going to assign anybody the uh, designation of a three or four D chess player, it would probably be Oscar. In that, uh, you think he's zigging when he's actually zagging, and it's hard to keep up. Uh, but the the uh, the end results speak for himself doing themselves. He, uh, by his actions and success of his actions, uh, came against the uh, uh, federal government in their position and uh, their judges, and he ended up uh, serving her time. I just, I think there's just sort of a, uh, if I can just take a minute here, I know this will surprise everybody, I just got a new book recently. The founding oh, Color of Me Stunned. Jensen. Yeah. I didn't know you founding, could read. The Founding of a Nation by Merrill Jensen. Uh, it's a first Wonderful. edition copy, actually. It's it's a brilliant book. Uh, it's in extremely good condition. And uh, it just has that old book smell, and the pages are just slightly tinted. And it, you know, it's got a hardback and the texture, and you can settle down with it. But uh, actually, in the first page of the introduction, there's a... Merrill brings out something here that John Adams had to talk. He was speaking about after after the uh, revolution, after uh, the Constitution, actually. And uh, this is uh, what Merrill puts in here on John Adams' impression of looking back over the last 25 years. Uh, so he says, uh, on the other hand, John Adams believed that the revolution took place before 1776. Before 1776. He told Thomas Jefferson that his idea might be peculiar, perhaps singular, but asserted that the revolution was in the minds of the people. And this was affected from 1760 to 1775. In the course of 15 years before a drop of blood was shed at Lexington. Uh, I, I think this it was, it was very powerful for me to read that. Uh, and interesting that Merrill Jensen puts it in the front of his introduction. And people, we keep asking the question, when will people stop uh, believing these things? When will, when will this revolution occur? Well, I would... I would say, you know, a lot of people would associate the revolution with the hostilities, and Adams completely separates these two. He says, no, no, the revolution occurs in the mind and the spirit. I'm, I'm adding that to spirit. Uh, long before the hostilities become come to bear. And uh, so at the present point where I can see where we're at, if I was to draw an analogy, an extension, it would be that we're, we are at uh, this very tepid, weak point of what could be the beginning of a revolution of the mind, possibly. And uh, 
what what probably is the biggest uh, detriment, uh, probably the biggest thing that will keep uh, uh, this revolution of the mind from continuing is that I believe a lot of people that want to do something will get the cart before the head of the horse. They'll get the They'll 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 think that the rev they'll think in the, that a revolution is is physical hostility versus uh, a, a personal uh, revolution of their perception, their mind, who they are, their principles. These things that Oscar talks about, these things that we talk about, these things that we try to do. Uh, so I think, I think John Adams really uh, brings out some incredibly powerful points there. So. Mike. Well, guys, here's something I would like to do because, and the reason, it's kind of funny. I was, uh, I made a ride down to uh, Marshallville, Georgia this morning to pick up some more uh, documents from a uh, library down there that uh, had been overlooked for hundreds, a couple of, <laughs> at least a hundred years. And uh, they were more than happy to make me copies, but uh, on the way back, I was listening to a radio station that I like because it's completely eclectic and it comes out of uh, Macon, Georgia, and it is centered around the old Allman Brothers uh, and their recording studios and what have you. But they are totally inclusive. I mean, they play everybody from Waylon Jennings. They don't play rap, but they play black soul music. They play a lot of black music. They play a lot of different things. And, you know, they are just really not selective. Uh, and everybody gets played on there that is, uh, you know, a pretty decent uh, entertainers. Uh, but one of the things that amazed me this morning is I heard a song by a group called Nude Party. Now, that, that's weird, but that's the name of their group, Nude Party. And the title of their song was, It's Going to Get Really Bad for Everyone. And in that song, they mentioned the New World Order three times. Now, and they're from the Catskills of New York, I understand, about a seven or eight piece band. So evidently, this is permeating down into the music, even. But they talked about what was coming in there. And I like the old adage by Patrick Henry that I know of no way to judge the future but by the past. Now, people, I'm going to read here, going to indulge, I hope you guys will indulge me, to read some official testimony from the National Archives and Library of Congress about the Indian Wars after the Civil War. And I do believe this is coming to us. And I believe it's going to be here before we are prepared for it. But here, again, let me start with Washita Creek, official government testimony. Before dawn, the troopers, U.S. Cavalry, attacked the 51 lodges, killing a number of men, women, and children. Custer, General Custer reported about 100 killed, though the Indian accounts claimed 11 warriors plus 19 women and children. More than 50 Cheyenne were captured, mainly women and children. Custer's losses were light. Two officers and 19 enlisted men killed. Following Sheridan's plan to cripple resistance, Custer ordered the slaughter of the Indian Pony 
and mule herds estimated at over 800 animals. The lodges of Black Kettle's people, with all of their winter supply of food and clothing, were destroyed. Moving on to the Sand Creek Massacre. Looking at the official congressional testimony of John S. Smith, an eyewitness to the attack by Colonel Chivington, who, by the way, happened to be running for Congress in Colorado at the time of the attack. And here is the question by Congress. Question, were the men and women slaughtered indiscriminately or only so far as they were with the warriors? The answer was, hold on a second here till I can scroll down. Answer, indiscriminately. Question, were there any acts of barbarity perpetrated there that came under your own observation? Yes, sir. I saw the bodies of those lying there cut all to pieces, worse mutilated than any I ever saw before. The women were all cut to pieces. Testimony, uh, question by Mr. Buckaloo of Congress, Congressman Buckaloo. Question, how cut? Answer, with knives, scalped, their brains knocked out, children two or three months old, all ages lying there from sucking infants up to warriors. Question by Congressman Gooch. Question, did you see it alone? Answer, yes, sir, I saw them fall. Did you see it done? I'm sorry. Yes, sir, I saw them fall. Question, fall when they were killed? Answer, yes, sir. Question, did you see them when they were mutilated? Answer, yes, sir. Question, by whom were they mutilated? By the United States troops. Now, testimony from Wounded Knee, American horse of the Lakota tribe, and his testimony. There was a woman with an infant in her arms who was killed as she almost touched the flag of truce. A mother was shot down with her infant. The child, not knowing what its mother was dead, knowing that its mother was dead, was still nursing. The women, as they were fleeing with their babies, were killed together, shot right through. And after most all of them had been killed, a cry was made that all of those who were not killed or wounded should come forth and they would be safe. Little boys came out of their places of refuge, and as soon as they came in sight, a number of soldiers surrounded them and butchered them. Testimony of Dewey Beard, Lakota. I was badly wounded and pretty weak, too. While I was lying on my back, I looked down the ravine, and I saw a lot of women coming up and crying. When I saw these women, girls and little girls, girls and little boys, coming up, I saw soldiers on both sides of the ravine shoot at them until they had killed every one of them. Going a little further, I came upon my mother, who was, um, hold on, let me scroll again, who was moving slowly, being very badly wounded. When I caught up with her, she said, my son, pass me by, I'm going to fall down now. As she went up, soldiers on both sides of the ravine shot at her and killed her. I heard the Hotchkiss or Gatling gun shooting at them along the bank. Now there went up from these dying people a medley of death songs that would have made the hardest heart weep. Each one sings a different death song if he chooses. The death song is expressive of their wish to die. It is also a requiem for the dead. It expresses that the singer is anxious to die too." Unquote. Now testimony from Commanding General Nelson A. Miles, quote, a detachment of soldiers was sent into the camp to search for any arms remaining there, and it was reported that their rudeness frightened the women and children. It was also reported that a remark was made by one of the soldiers that, quote, 
when we get the arms away from them, we can do as we please with them, indicating that they were to be destroyed. Some of the Indians could understand English. This and other things alarmed the Indians, and a scuffle occurred between one warrior who had a rifle in his hand and two soldiers. The rifle was discharged, and then a massacre occurred. Not only the warriors, but the sick chief, Bigfoot, and a large number of women and children who tried to escape by running and scattering over the prairie were hunted down and killed. Also, testimony from Black Elk of the Lakota. My people look pitiful. There was a big drought, and the rivers and creeks seemed to be dying. Nothing would grow that the people had planted, and the Washichus, which means white man, had been sending less and less cattle and other foods than ever before, as they had promised. The Wasichus had slaughtered all of the buffalo and shut us up in pens. It looked as if we might all starve to death. We could not eat their lies, and there was nothing we could do. Now, testimony from L. Frank Baum, editor and publisher of the Aberdeen Saturday Pioneer, December 1890. Quote, Sitting Bull, most renowned Sioux of modern history, is dead. He was an Indian with a white man's spirit of hatred and revenge for those who had wronged him and his people. With his fall, the nobility of the redskin is extinguished, and what few are left are a pack of whining curs who lick the hand that smites them. The whites, by law of conquest, by justice of civilization, are masters of the American continent, and the best safety of the frontier settlements will be secured by the total annihilation of the few remaining Indians, unquote. Now, people, if you believe for a split second that this government won't do that to you if you stand in their way, they've done it to every race of people both in the U.S. and around the world. And if you, as Cal mentioned earlier, you talk about some of their plans, look at Operation Northwoods. They admitted they were going to kill innocent civilians to promote a war. What is it about this government you trust enough that you think that there's some way that you can petition them to honor the honesty and the truth? It's never been done. Help me out here, guys. But, Mike, hey, Mike they have this divinely inspired document to protect them. Oh, I forgot. I'm sorry, Kevin. Come on, Mike. I mean, I mean, look at the First Amendment. You know, you have the right to peacefully petition the government for to redress of grievances. But Is they don't have to Oscar? answer. Wasn't that wasn't that what Oscar was doing in court? But they don't. But they don't have to answer. Well, they, they did had, answer him. They shoved him in jail for it. Yeah, and they told him, and the judge, the judge put in an official document. What I'm about to do here is not legal, but I don't believe anyone can challenge me on it. Because they're never held to account. They're never held responsibility. Patrick Henry said, where is the responsibility? Exactly. Yeah. But where is the manly firmness to hold them responsible to begin with, Mike? Oh, well, we can always send them a petition in paper, can't we? Well, yeah, they will honor what, it. Well, yeah, that's because that's what, you know, that divinely inspired document tells me to do. I'm sorry, my perplex, my perplexity is overwhelming me. <laughs> oh. The, uh, as you were reading that off, Mike, it, and something you said earlier too, it reminded me of uh, 
some of the things that I've read uh, about the Bolshevik Revolution and uh, how people were treated, it also reminded me of how uh, the the British under Lord Milner uh, treated uh, the Boers in the Transvaal in South Africa. Uh, there's a lot of similarities there in uh, how government uh, treats each other. Now, it's interesting at the end of your what you were reading there. The um, the fellow remarks that they are the they're the masters of the land through the law of conquest, and, and uh, so that the law of the law of war, the law of conquest, uh, might makes right and the end justifies the means. And this is this is actually this legacy that we're living through now is that might makes right and the ends justify the means and then I get to the to the victor goes the monuments, right? And they write the history, they write the mythology, they write the context, and then they reorganize and they uh, you know bring that myth forward. Uh, this is this is fundamentally one of the reasons why the anti-federalists had to be expunged from the memories of uh, of, of the people. Uh, and uh, DW, can is, may I interrupt you for just a second? Oh yeah, please do. All right, buddy. I'm I'm so sorry, but uh, considering my advanced years here, I may forget this if we don't. And I sent it out on the internet. And Cal, I know you responded uh, beautifully, but how many people know that over 600 college professors in the state of North Carolina said that they don't want the Constitution and the founding era and other such things taught anymore because it is mind control? Your thoughts on that, DW? Well, yeah, they're, they're exactly right. They, they, they Sorry about that. Hello? Hello? Uh, well, Were you going to sing, Jim? Right <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just a stupid thing that plays automatically when it's not supposed to. They're they're exactly right in 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 one uh, degree in that uh, the Constitution or teaching uh, that period of of uh, an American uh, story, if you will, uh, it it uh, it puts forth a narrative. It builds a here again that mythology uh, that there's something inherently uh, powerful about the uh, premises and treatises of that and the people and the reasons why they did things and uh, <clears throat> so. The, the 600 professors did not say that they they did they wanted to see a a uh, representation of both sides of that of that period of time the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists they want to do away with all of it and fundamentally the reason why is because those mythologies by the government by the media and by the academia from that period of time forward was leveraged to use as the uh, dynamic engine and driving force for the conquest 
commercially and culturally of the rest of the world to build out the, the capitalist uh, juggernaut that they needed uh, to build out the infrastructure of what they've ultimately achieved. Uh, I know this is sounding a little complicated, but that war's over. Uh, I'll put it in the cornbread version. That's that part's been used up. It accomplished uh, its ends to its means, and they want to be done with it, put it away, and move on to the post uh, post American uh, Anglo American uh, narratives, the the premises and pretexts. They want to move on to the next reiteration, the next reorganization of society, commerce, uh, who you are, identity. They, This is all comp complicates things for them. Uh, so that's my that's my uh, observation of them saying that. What do you what do you got to say back about that? Me or Cal? Either one of you. Go, Cal. <laughs> well, first let's. Uh, okay, this is a a college. Chapel Hill is where it is in North Carolina, and this is done by the North Carolina legislature, which funds Chapel Hill, North Carolina University. We so, called it uh, Liquor Hill when I was a kid. Whatever they call it. Either way, the, it's controlled by the by the by the state of North Carolina through their funding. But here, the the piece of legislation would require students to take a three hour, three credit hour course, three whole credit hours. Wow, covering America's founding and history. Don't we do two hours of this every week, Mike? Yeah, <laughs> well, I do a lot more than two. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Required reading for the course would include the U.S. Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, the Emancipation Proclamation, and at least five essays from the Federalist Papers. Dr. No mention of the Antis. Yeah, no mention of the Antis. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from Birmingham jail and the Gettysburg Address. So these professors are opposed to you know, that standard narrative American rah 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 that you know the coach taught us basically. <laughs> uh, it, me, I see it as controlled opposition because oh these Marxist professors they're they're against this Americana stuff, and so what I wrote was Mike you know <laughs> I made a comment to it I said well. If the Marxist hallowed halls of higher indoctrination are opposed to such documents as the Federalist Papers and Lincoln's eulogy of, to the Republic, or I mean the Gettysburg Address, then by God, as flag-waving all-American American patriots, I'm going to cling even harder to the stuff Coach taught. This is, this is to elicit, I mean, it's on Fox News, so this is to elicit a reaction from the so-called Christian conservatives to cling even harder to their parchment worship. This is, I, I don't know how more obvious you can make a controlled opposition. Maybe I'm just really cynical. Well, you could have Democrats uh, criticize Donald Trump. Well, yeah, and that makes them cling harder. <laughs> have Hillary run against him. It, yeah, it's uh, once you step out of the of the forest, you can actually see the trees, so to speak. Uh, 
once you quit listening to the news is lying to you all the time, you can actually see the lies. It's like I'm I'm like Mike, you know, if if TV's on, you know, if my wife's watching TV or something, I can hear it at times, and you can pick out the indoctrination going on. You can see it, you know. If you go someplace that has a TV going on, it, it, it's it's annoying to me anymore. It's like really, people, you really believe this stuff? It's funny, Cal. My wife won't let me watch TV with her because I point out that stuff. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I <laughs> I have to be quiet. <laughs> And, you know, out of respect for her, she enjoys it. Okay, yeah. I'll be quiet. Me too, me too. May I opine? Uh, oh, yes. Hey, Brent, come on, buddy. Hey, well, you touched, you've revisited some things that had gone by. Um, real quick, 20 years ago, I was in a cab, and the driver was a constitutional law student. Oh, my. And I asked him, hey, have you read the Constitution? Oh, no, but I've read many studied books on it. I read a book, uh, Brent, I read a book on how to fly an airplane, but I bet you DW wouldn't let me fly it. <laughs> <laughs> and then also... He was talking about, uh, Cal was talking about the media and the lies they're trotting out. Real easy. How can you tell the media's lying or even the government? Their lips, their lips are, moving. are moving. Yes, exactly, Brent. And then number three, you, Mike had mentioned earlier, uh, uh, columnist L. Frank Baum talking about the Indian massacres. L. Frank Baum wrote The Wizard of Oz. Yes, he did. Great observation, Brent. Great observation. Well, uh, go ahead, D.W. Whoop it up there. Yeah, I was. I was just. Uh, I have. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm kind of a, a sucker for the people that don't have a voice anymore, and uh, forgotten people. This is one of the reasons why I was so taken by Chris Fogarty, and uh, the Irishman who lives in Chicago and wrote his book. Oh, what a great interview that was! Yeah, that was that was one for the books, wasn't it? And, oh, big uh, time. He. Uh, you know, we we just we had about 15 minutes and turned him loose, and he took over for the next hour and 45 minutes, and it was just a brilliant uh, conversation. I just want to recommend it, everybody, please buy his book. And uh, when you buy it, you buy it directly from him, and it's called The Perfect Holocaust and Who Kept It Perfect, and it's Chris Fogarty with his wife, Mary O'Sullivan Fogarty. And then you will understand this uh, this ongoing continued pattern of disposi disposition and, and deposing and and uh, government confiscation, the gang, uh, and uh, the, once again I'm just revealing the pattern here. But this other other group of people that have been completely forgotten, written out of the minds and memories, consciousness of 
the American people are uh, the people during the Spanish-American War and uh, all through the islands, the Spanish possessions and territories that the uh, the uh, U.S. government uh, went to war over uh, because of the false flag of the sinking of the Maine. They they set that set that up, but they they never talk about the literally uh, uh, millions of Filipinos that were mur murdered by U.S. troops in the conquest of the Philippines to put them under subjugation and make them a territory. And when you say that to people that that the Philippines were part of the American territory, were American territory, they go, what are you talking about? I go, obviously you've never read a book. Okay. The Philippine, Philippine people and the whole people of that, that part of the world were uh, uh, <laughs> slaughtered. Slaughtered. Just ah, like the Filipino Tagalog. Hindi malaking bagay, Michael. Yeah. And nobody ever talks about the Filipinos, so I just want to give them what, and you know, it's totally inadequate, but I just want to give them the acknowledgement of uh, the kind of tyranny that they were subjected to prior to World War One, prior to the Federal Reserve Act, prior to all Big these time. other things. Yeah, so the the Spanish-American War, uh, this, this occurs in the 1800s, late 1800s. Uh, the Spanish-American War, uh, the Americans are going to war against the people of the previous Spanish uh, colonies in the same way that the British were attacking the Boers in South Africa. This is, this is all happening before 1900. The Spanish-American War was the coming out party for the new Bolshevik U.S. Army and military operation. That was their coming out party. And... Uh, so when, when you keep talking about make America great again, I just keep going back to what I said when I heard that, that kind of garbage in 2016 was, okay, well, great. Tell me, what that, tell me when that was and what does it look like. Okay, nobody can ever answer. I've never had that question ever answered, by the way. Well, let's, let's so. DW, let's not forget that in 2016, Donald Trump at a black church in Detroit said the greatest honor of his life was being made the nominee of the party of Lincoln and he fully intended to bring this country and the Republican Party back to the principles of Abraham Lincoln. Well, he, he's, he's helped facilitate that. He, he held true. He, he's held true to that, that pledge, hasn't he? Oh, big time. Yeah, I, I, so you can't, you can't fault him for not telling the truth. It's just that the people, uh, they, they didn't understand what he was saying to them. Look, uh, you know, we're, we're, we have this wonderful opportunity. We're mixing like 225, 250 years of past, you know, the history, the recent history and the present as we're moving towards the future here. This is this, this uh, conglomeration. And uh, we're talking about all this while, while right at this very moment they're uh, well on their way to creating a scientific caste system. Uh, any of these political actors, any Republican or Democrat, could easily change and exchange the roles they play in, in their performance politics. You could, you could take these people, put them in a bag, jumble them up, uh, or, or just, just completely 
completely switch sides. You could take all the people on the left and all the people on the right that hold political office and just switch them, and the same thing would happen. Okay, they're they're completely they're completely interchangeable, and uh, that's when the point I'm trying to get is you have a uniparty. It's the federal government. It's a federal socialist government, and uh, so. You know, that's part of that mental, that mind revolution. That's part of that revolution that John Adams is talking about that has to occur before uh, people will, will take action. And so when I hear this comment over and over again is that this is a, this is a spiritual problem, not a political problem. And I say uh, hogwash. There's no, there's no <laughs> distinction between the two. It's no distinction between the two. If you, if if you have a political problem, it's because you had a spiritual problem. The political is an extension of the spiritual. But but yet, the Christians uh, separate those two. They think that they can affect the spiritual by the political. It's it's so it's so upside. It's like it's like. It's like looking at a paintings of Salvador Dali. It's it's Dali world, you know, Salvador Dali. It's <laughs> surreal. But but but, you know. but DW, they taught us not to speak about religion or politics in public. Right. And that was that was that was part of their liberation theology that you that you bought into. And, and hey, let's and, not uh, forget Let's not forget for a minute Article 6, Clause 3 of the Constitution, which eliminated any oath to the Christian faith from American politicians. Yeah, sorry at, about that. The, uh, yeah, no, sorry. But, well, who, 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 who petitioned that? Who was the petitioner of that? Well, it was oh, uh, a rabbi are, from, a, from a Jewish synagogue <laughs> in uh, yeah. Rhode Island or Delaware. It had to be we the people, didn't it? Oh, absolutely. We the people. Hey, uh, DW, if I may throw this in here real quick, uh, very quickly, and it has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but my Maggie heard your voice, DW, and jumped up on my lap to look at the computer because she thought you were in there. Uh, yeah, I, I, Maggie has a special spot with my heart, too. I, I'm, uh, I'm going to come see her again one of these days. So. Well, she said, hurry up. She's getting tired of waiting. <laughs> I'll bring her a treat. I'll bring her a treat. Yeah. So, yeah. Sorry for that interruption, folks. No, no. You know, dog interruptions are are very are acceptable. So, we we are. Was Oscar thinking maybe he would join us uh, yet today if he had a chance, or we are after the top of the hour? Or so. Well, I told him let's. I told him let's look at May. So. Um, you know, I, okay. I want I want him to uh, be able to answer questions. I think that would be oh. a great, uh, uh, you know, let him speak for a while and then let him answer questions to our group. I think that would be fantastic. Yeah. I thought I saw Scorpio on here earlier. Are you there, Scorpio? I am here. I've been faithfully listening to this show. It's been fascinating. Um, there's a couple things that really... Uh, stuck in my mind you know 
this this discussion about Donald Trump and uh, you know bring back the party of Lincoln. That's interesting. I I didn't know that he'd ever said that, but my theory on Trump is that he essentially has been tasked to bring about the Uniparty openly by just essentially destroying the Republican Party. Him, Mitch McConnell, and this Kevin McCarthy uh, clown. I think they're all in on a scheme to intentionally destroy the Republican Party so that essentially all that's left is a uniparty, an open uniparty. We already have a uniparty system, but I mean an open uniparty uh, where where there is no political opponent party or opposition party like China. Because I think, I think that China is the model for everything here moving forward. And I, I just wonder what you guys' thoughts were on, on the idea that Trump is actually there to destroy uh, the Republican Party. Well, well it's, my, was... it's my opinion they destroyed themselves. Well, yeah, they're, they're, they're a useless, uh, false opposition party. I agree with that. That would, yeah. that would fit into the well, people my... willingly accepting their tyranny. Yeah. Well, I mean, the Republican, it, the Republican uh, Party. It's a whole other thing to get the people to celebrate their own tyranny, celebrate their own slavery. I mean, how many people really think they're free <laughs> of our fellow Bubis Americanas? Uh, they'll tell you yeah. they're free. They got all the licenses yeah. to prove it. <laughs> but what, what I'm trying to get at uh, is that, that, that getting a system that's more in line with the Chinese system, because I, oh, yeah. I really believe that the Chinese system is the model for the so-called New World Order, and part of the Chinese system, there is no opposition party, you know, the, the, uh, the Communist Party, which really isn't even communist anymore. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's government fascism uh, versus uh, corporate fascism, at least at the people's level. There's two forms of fascism. There's the there's the corporation that runs the government, and then there's the government that runs the corporations. On the face of it, you would look at China and say, the government's running the corporations. But yet, uh, in China, uh, they uh, historically have been in bed with international banking above them. So uh, the, uh, the you have a Chinese uh, aristocracy. You have a United States aristocracy, and uh, the aristocracy uh, once established, as it has been, uh, is uh, perverted into an oligarchy. It's run by an oligarchy. So yes. uh, at the top of it, at the top of it, what it's so but you know what what i'm talking about is the view from 35,000 feet you know the, the 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 man and woman on the ground is looking at it from only one direction they're just looking up at it so they see it they see it from that one dimensional point of view but in mm -hmm. in all cases whatever the superstructure is there's always an oligarchy the aristocracy then is uh, uh captured uh, as if they needed to be <laughs> uh, exploided, and uh, they uh, uh, the reason you have this the pretense, the pretense and pretext of even government to begin with, is because the people uh, for forever have been conditioned to obey government. 
and so they, the, the uh, people don't. The people they don't have to obey oligarchs and monarchies and and all this other stuff. They they obey government, you know, according to Romans 13. They obey that, okay. And so if you're a if you're an oligarch, you don't have to tell the people what to do. You tell the government what to tell the people what to do. It's really not that hard. Donald Trump, right. he he's a consolidator. He's a deal maker. He cut his deal, and he's the closer. The closer. You always need mm -hmm. a closer. He's the closer. Okay, uh, I had my piece. Yeah, that's a, a great point. And you know, you brought up oligarchy and uh, aristocracy. I, I I think the terms are somewhat interchangeable. Uh, and really, you know, we're entering into a, a, a system of monopolistic capitalism. And communism is the ultimate expression of monopolistic capitalism, where the government has, you know, is, everything's consolidated into the government. And uh, so I think we're entering that final stage where, uh, and uh, you about a new system being unveiled. And I really think Donald Trump is a big part of that. Uh, and it, what's interesting, too, you know, th this whole thing with, you know, Tucker Carlson being removed from Fox News, you know. Uh, I've been doing some research on Tucker, and it's really very interesting. You know, his father, of course, as we know, was uh, you know Voice of America and up high up in the food chain of of you know let's say intelligence work. And his father also married the CFR Watson. I'm sorry, CFR. He was involved with the Council on Foreign Relations. Uh, absolutely, I and mean, he was an intelligence operative in all likelihood. And his father married. Uh, the Swanson, you know, the Swanson uh, TV dinners, he married the heiress to that fortune, which is, you know, there's a lot of TV dinners there, guys. There's a lot of money. And uh, so his father actually married into an American aristocracy, essentially. And Hey, Dave. Father, yes, sir. May I ask you a quick question? Who married into the Heinz, oh, the Heinz, Heinz food uh, dynasty? Yeah. Oh, yes. John Kerry, who actually, yes, they actually exactly. owned a castle. They own a yes. castle in Europe. <laughs> yes. Imagine yeah. that. Yeah. So th this is the American aristocracy that Tucker Carlson is firmly implanted in, which is very interesting. And, you know, he has a brother and a son named Buckley, of course, named after William F. Buckley Jr. And um, what, what I find interesting is is this, I so many of these conservatives are, oh, my God, it's the end of America. They're not friend of Tucker. But what, what what's interesting is that, we, you know, I thought these corporations were all trying to get the maximum amount of dollars. They're all competing for their maximum amount of dollars, and here they get rid of the top-rated guy on yeah. television. So, <laughs> like that makes sense, right? So obviously, we're dealing with a different kind of system already, where money isn't actually the real motivator at the highest levels because they already own everything. You know, BlackRock and and uh, Vanguard and State Street own almost every major corporation, right? They have a piece of the pie. So it's just interesting to see, you know, what's happened uh, with this whole thing and how we really are seeing a new system slowly being unveiled uh, that most people don't even understand what, what the game being played is. Excellent observation, Dave. Excellent observation. I, I think we're exactly right. But the problem is, is that most Americans 
are not looking for you know the reason to absolutely shut this thing down they're looking for a reason to get along with it you know we know the government is criminal we know they're a criminal organization we know they're the largest criminal organization in world history but we don't want to get rid of it we want them to give us certain privileges and that is what is destroying America we don't want to get rid of government we want for government to acknowledge us which is a death certificate for rightful liberty yes, just, the, yes. just the view from my saddle and if I have just a couple of moments I want to make a public apology to Sarge last week on Republic Broadcasting I had my friend James Edwards on we have been friends for about 18 years and unfortunately me being the dummy that I am I had previously scheduled that time frame with Sarge and I made a just a classic blunder there I apologize to Sarge I want to apologize to him publicly he is going to be on RBN with me on Saturday and it will be the rebel in the copperhead so I hope you folks will join us and again Jim I apologize sir I, I you know I really messed that one up that's no totally unnecessary stuff happens like I said we're even because the first time you invited me on with Robert I totally forgot so don't worry about it uh, I'm looking forward to Saturday though it's gonna be fun well it bothers me buddy when I mess up it bothers me when I make a mistake like that and uh, I you know I, I felt so bad about that yeah let he was who was without with a, without a brain fart throw the first stone <laughs> <laughs> yeah people who live saying. in glass houses shouldn't <laughs> yeah so uh yeah no problem I'm, hey thank you buddy i appreciate your indulgence i i certainly did not mean in any way to uh to you know to dim to uh diminish you know your importance as as to what i wanted to do and i had had in my mind when we, you and i first talked about it i wanted to bring you on as the copperhead and the rebel uh and i thought i thought you know this is going to make a great show and then suddenly, uh, you know, uh, something happened, uh, and I had uh, one of those, uh, you know, senior moments, I guess. I, at least I'll try to use that as a, an excuse. But, but uh, James contacted me and said that he wanted me to come on the political cesspool uh, for, uh, you know, a Confederate History Month. And, you know, without thinking, I said, well, why don't you come on with me tomorrow? And uh, yeah. we'll do, uh, you know, on RBN. And... Uh, without even consulting my schedule, Jim. So, again, I apologize, sir. Oh, not a problem. Not a problem at all. Just uh, glad that I was I was worried. I just thought maybe something would happen to you. I said, where's he at? And I checked, and I said, oh, okay, got James Edwards on. No problem. You're going to have a better show anyway. <laughs> well, no, I don't, think, I don't think it would be better in any way because, as you probably heard if, as you were listening, he is a Trump supporter, and uh, it. I, yeah. I, you know, I, I never ever want to embarrass a guest on uh, any of my programs. That's not what I do. Right. But uh, I, I tried my best to challenge him uh, as much as possible, you know. But then it makes me think that is the traditional Trump supporter. Yeah. 
you yeah. listen to what Trump says and you ignore what he does. Mm -hmm. And that has destroyed us as a, as a country, in my yeah. opinion. Not only Trump, but so many others. George W. Bush comes to mind. Uh, so many others that we, uh, you know, we, Ronald Reagan especially, we embrace what they say, yeah. we ignore what they do. Yeah, I noticed the same thing when I was down at the Dixie Republic for the, uh, you know, back in April or beginning of April. Um, the place was loaded with all, you know, Trump T-shirts, Trump people. Um, if I'd have got up and said, you know, Trump's a lousy scum, they'd have probably shot me. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's kind of the way I'm starting to feel and basically what he's been doing over the last couple of years. Uh, well, Jim... Uh, well, I, I've got to I've got to uh, confess, buddy. Uh, me and uh, several folks at uh, Dixie Republic have had that Trump discussion, and uh, it's it's the you know that thing that Patrick Henry said in his speech. We you know about hope. Yeah. We shall embrace that. We shall listen and embrace that siren song of hope until it all turns us into beasts. Mm -hmm. Most Americans would rather find something that they could cling to than to actually stand up, be a man, and do something. Yeah. Well, it, here's my question. You've talked to some of these Trump supporters, Mike and, and uh, Sarge. How did they explain away his support for the vaccine? I, I mean, I just don't. I can't comprehend that. You know, I can't take either. the vaccine. It's tremendous. You know, it works. I mean, yeah, how, they ignore they it. He, they he, ignore it, Dave. They ignore it just like they did with his statement, uh, well, let's take the guns first, due process second. You know, I don't know when I brought that up, uh, you know, when he first said it, and I heard from m a multitude of Trump supporters, oh, he's playing 5D chess. He didn't yeah. mean that. Yeah. Well, it's yeah, like right. uh, during the original uh, uh campaign 2015 2016 when he got up and said you know came right out and said i could probably shoot somebody in Times square at noon and still get elected and instead he's engaged in mass murder and still gets elected or you know everybody comes out to will try to anyway yeah it, you know it's really incredible the amount of lives this shot has altered uh you know I, i've encountered quite a few people who had loved ones or close family members uh, die or, you know, have all kinds of weird things happen to them. I just met a guy a couple of weeks ago who his wife was a nurse, and, of course, she had to take the shot to keep her job. And two months later, she's dead from a fast-acting cancer. Came out of nowhere, and she went from completely healthy to dead in, like, you know, two months. And, uh, of course, this guy doesn't put the pieces together, unfortunately. I'm not going to sit there and tell him because he took the shot, too, because she took it. So it, it, this is the most insidious thing ever, and um, Trump was square in the middle. In fact, he, he's even said it should be called the Trump shot because I helped develop it. I need credit for it. That's the thing, you know, and he's so stubborn and bullheaded. Even though the facts are square in his face, he won't admit that he was wrong and misled but by the way on a second on a secondhand thing if you if anybody knows of anyone who was injured by these shots and is is still alive give them my number and have them get in touch with me because the itericare ones and and science-based clinically verified medical nutrition are the two things that are showing they can help people get their lives back and uh, we've sarge seen it over and over buddy yeah. i just did that yesterday 
I've got a neighbor, a very fine lady. I mm -hmm. really like her. And her husband, she and her husband, took the vaccine last fall. Uh -huh. Her husband died on Christmas Day. Oh, my. Just absolutely out of the, you know, multiple blood clots. Brain, legs, lungs. And she has also had the vaccine. And, Jim, just between you and I, I have, well, and everybody else who is listening, I'm sorry, but I gave her my wand that you so graciously sent to me. And I said, here, try this, because she's having issues right now. Yeah. And I said, Marsha, try this. If it works, order your own. Here's how you do it. But yeah. try this in the meantime and see if it helps. And Jim, um, it's helping. Good. Full fantastic. That's great to hear. And um, if she has any questions about what to do or whatever, you know, give her my number. Tell her to call me. Um, I've already done that, buddy. Okay, great. I'll be happy to talk to her. If any, And same thing for anybody else. We've seen such great results for people that, you know, were sitting in wheelchairs and could barely walk and stuff like that. Within a few days of using one of these things, they've got 85% of their life back. It's absolutely amazing what's happening. And, uh, well, buddy, I just wanted to tell you, too, you're probably going to get a contact pretty soon from an old friend of mine 40-plus years ago, a lady in North Carolina that I used to date. She's a fine lady. Of course, you know, we went our separate ways. She's married with a family, and, of course, am I. But recently she contacted me because her husband had to take the vaccine for his job, Ooh. and he did. And recently he spent over three weeks in the hospital in Charlotte, North Carolina, and the doctors are telling her that they can't even explain to her what's happened. He's had multiple blood clots. Right now, the big issue is with the legs. Oh boy. And I gave her all of your information, and I told her, you know, feel free. Just mention my name when you call Jim or when you uh, email him, mm -hmm. and let him know her husband is home now. But then he got home from the hospital in Charlotte after a month or so, and within two days, she had to call the uh, 911 because he was having more reactions and this time it was some huge blood clots in his legs. Yeah, and we're seeing so, that over and over. It's the same thing constantly, and it's just, just terrible. Is it, is it still on the emergency order, technically? Yeah. Vaccine or, yeah. It still is. Mm -hmm. How come they haven't just pushed it through just to legitimize it then? I guess they don't need to, huh? Well, there's, there's a lot of different reasons. As long as it's an um, emergency use authorization, they can get it through and not have, uh, and it's covered under the, um, uh, oh, it basically court stuff. Well, yeah. what it does is it gives the, um, the companies that make these things, it gives them liability protection. Total. Once oh, it's approved, okay. their liability protection goes away. That's the yeah, total immunity not... right now. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Hey Jim, company... I've got, I've got a very, very dear friend back in Colorado. And uh, he was a county commissioner for eight years, and I supported him fully because he ran as an independent. He wouldn't embrace either political party. He's just an excellent 
excellent human being. And, uh, you know, I uh, told him recently the thing of it was is that he is third generation in the mortuary business and he retired and turned it over to his daughter and her husband. And he was he sent me an email recently and he said, we live in a small county in Colorado, 25,000 people. Mm-hmm. And he said, we are seeing more deaths yep. than we have ever seen in the history since my grandfather owned this mortuary. Yeah. We are seeing a higher percentage of deaths than we have ever seen. And he said that my daughter, who's now in charge of the business, one of the first questions she asked the survivors is, were they vaccinated? <laughs> and yeah. almost 100% of them recently have said yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's about a 20% increase, which is just unheard of. Uh, the numbers that they're seeing now, these, you know, and just about all of them are, they've got these big uh, um, amyloid clots. They're not blood clots, but they're stuff that has formed from these jabs. And it, it goes from their hips to their ankles. And they can't, they can't embalm the people because their blood, their circulatory system so full of these things. They got to pull those things out before they can embalm them. It's insane. But yeah, they're seeing that everywhere. Uh, Cody, I think you had a question. Oh, I was going to say the uh, uh, if a company demands that a worker, you know, under emergency order, I'm just surprised that legally these companies are not going to end up being liable. What's what's been the determination legally that you've seen happening? Well, (laughs) there are a lot of suits that have been filed, and believe it or not, there have been some uh, pretty good victories. But the of course the news media is keeping them under the under wraps. uh, Tom Rents from here in Ohio has been involved with a lot of them. Uh, there have been a lot of victories, though, in suits against employers and things like that. Uh, but yeah. the sad thing is the people that are just willing to, oh, I had to keep my job. And, you know, the question I got to ask us is, what job is worth your life? You know, because if you're lucky, it'll just kill you. You know, if, it, if you survive yeah. it, you're going to, you know, I, <clears throat> excuse me, one one lady here in Ohio was days away from shooting herself. She literally had a gun in her mouth. And it was only because she was thinking of friends and family that would, you know, she'd leave behind. And a week later, she saw a video of Kevin Street in uh, Alberta, Canada, who got, uh, somebody gave him a wand after he was stuck in a wheelchair. And within a few days of using it, he was back on his feet and going up and down stairs without holding the rails and stuff. And it, it gave her hope because she was looking at a lifetime of absolute misery and anguish and pain and didn't want to put up with it. Uh, And this is being replayed over and over and over throughout the, not just the United States, but the world. And what's, it's sad. What's the theory on on these wands, how they're, what they're doing? The key thing is they, they put out uh, terahertz frequencies, which uh, studies have shown those are the frequencies that your cells resonate at when they're healthy. And the idea is the same as is behind nutrition, where you give your body what it needs to do its job. And God designed our bodies to take care of them ourselves in the face of everything in the past, the present, and even the crap that they haven't rolled out yet. 
We're fearfully and wonderfully made in God's image. There's nothing that we cannot deal with if we give our bodies the things they need in order to do the job. And that's what nutrition and that's what these waves do. They allow the cells to take out the trash. So we can detox. It keeps our blood flowing. It keeps our lymph flowing. It helps determine uh, bad stuff and gets rid of it. it, helps support the good stuff, and it helps us detox. Uh, those are the key things. Plus, it helps relieve, uh, release stem cells from our bone marrow, which accentuates the healing process. So um, that's basically what these things do. And it works. There's, uh, there's no placebo effect in animals and plants. And we've seen miraculous things. I've, you know, I got my vid- I have videos on my YouTube playlist that show a, a dog that had a great big cancerous growth on the end of his nose. And uh, in three weeks' time, it was gone just by using this wand on it. And otherwise, wow. it would have taken a $1,500 surgery and a whole bunch of recovery time and pain and anguish for the dog and all, all that stuff. And it, it was all avoided by using this little wand on it blowing warm air on it and uh went away and we've seen people colorectal cancer gone uh you know lung cancer bone cancer blood cancer uh people have had these things and used these wands and gotten rid of them it's not the wand doing anything other than providing stuff to the body that it can use to fix itself that's the key and there's really there's nothing that you can't reverse if you have the right uh, stuff you know in the in the process and that's why hey, we have such widespread results yeah mike should we not mention that in 1987 ronald reagan made it against the law and protected every pharmaceutical company from any lawsuit because of what anything they might produce oh yeah that was the childhood uh, vaccine program yeah i think it was uh, 88, he actually signed it, if I remember, or 86. Um, but yeah, you know, that's something, another thing that Reagan did. Um, and if I remember right, Rumsfeld was one of the people behind it. He was in charge of, uh, uh, what was it, the FDA, I think, at the time. But Well, he was also the CEO for Baxter Pharmaceuticals. Yeah, <laughs> who gave us aspartame. <laughs> yes, Biotoxin. absolutely. And... You know, that is something, Jim, I think that uh, needs to be explored as much as possible. Maybe we can jump into that on Saturday yeah. uh, on some of these. Uh, uh, but also, there was, an, uh, there was a piece of legislation introduced by the Republicans in Congress in 2018. And it passed the House, but then there was so much publicity about it, the Senate decided to not touch it because it was a hot tater <laughs> and that was the house proposed that no veteran could ever sue a pharmaceutical company for damages for any pharmaceuticals they had provided through the VA jeez oh, <laughs> and it was it had skimmed right by the house again supported by republicans and in that legislation, it stated that if any veteran died of uh, complications from a pharmaceutical prescription, that they could only sue if the uh, that it had to do with their annual income. In other words, if the if their income was such they could sue. If such, they could not sue. 
In other words, in essence, they eliminated everyone from lawsuits. Mm -hmm. And it also stated that the veteran could only receive money if that if their uh, net worth was at such a level. That was one of the most complicated lawsuits that I have ever read through. And if I remember correctly, people, please don't hold me to this, but I think it was H.R. 1045 back in 68. I mean, I'm sorry, in 2018. But they actually proposed that veterans could not sue a pharmaceutical company. So much for equal protection under the law. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) I mean, you know, who are we protecting here? We're protecting the people who kill us. Yep. How is that not a violation if it says no property will be taken for public use if they're, in a sense, taking your body for a public purpose, not giving you compensation? <laughs> hey, they do what they and do because they can. That Ronald Reagan, in the in the history books, is one of the greatest presidents uh, in modern history. It's oh, until really Joe Biden, of course. When you think about that. This, this Second this only to Abraham Lincoln. Beware yeah. of the actors, right? He was the greatest president. Yeah. yeah. No question about that. Doctrine, but, but, didn't he? What's that? Was it, wasn't it called Totem Doctrine, Mike? Yes. They had a special ambassador that only reported to them, and uh, Leo Wanta was uh, Reagan's. And people don't want to talk about it, but he's what helped bring down uh, Russia financially, give them a soft landing. You know? But, yeah. I I think I think it was called totem, right? Yes, you're correct. Thank you, Mike. Yes, sir. Doc Wallach says there's two ways to give your life for your country. <laughs> One is on the battlefield, the other is at, at the, the VA. VA. Well, that is true, except for the fact that on the battlefield, you do not give your life for your country. You give your life for the I, international banking cabal. Andrew yeah, I know. I'm just telling you what Doc says. <laughs> oh, I know. I, I I'm familiar with that quote, and I appreciate it. But you know, I always challenge those people, and with the the very simple fact, people ask me, and I've had very close friends, including a minister in Colorado, ask me, "Why don't you flaunt your veteran status?" And I said, Raymond. How can I ask people to honor me for something I had to ask God for forgiveness for? Bingo. Yeah, but the soldiers themselves there on the battlefield are really fighting for each other when it comes down to it, you know. Well, that's that's the the, the point that I've always used, Murr, and that is the I, I you know I'd like to quote exactly uh, chapter and verse, but uh, greater love hath no man than he who would lay down his life for his friends, and the fact is I. We fought for each other, but we didn't realize that by fighting for each other, we were fighting for the international banking cabal. Yeah, sacrifices for them, and they don't want any veterans. Forget about it. You know, they just assume torture you in the in the VA is, you know, just well, why did why did they leave thousands of POWs in the hands of their enemies? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They it's, didn't want them to talk. It was the same thing in Germany. There were way more, way more traitors there in, under Hitler's regime than we've known about, you know. And they sent like 20,000 off to Siberia. These jealous generals and stuff. You know, they hated the little bohemian corporal that was concerned about the people. 
You know, I think a perfect war in the eyes of the bankers would be when they end up with all of the money and all the combatants are end up dead. Does that sound about right? Well, I have They're a almost there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then they have to turn on themselves. That'd be tr tricky. <laughs> well, that's something, uh, Murr, that uh, Pastor Ted Wyland and I were talking about recently, and that is the fact, uh, you know, uh, he said... Uh, well, what if, uh, you know, we're talking about uh, Trump said he would drain the swamp. And I said, well, I said, Parson, if you've ever lived near a swamp, and we live near the Okeechobee Swamp for several years, if you've ever lived near a swamp during times of drought, those alligators get really nasty, and then they start eating each other. So... You know, that is the thing that we can pray for, is that in actuality, the swamp gets drained to the point to where they start attacking each other. Yeah, the swamp is a necessary part of our ecosystem. If he would have said, I'm going to drain the cesspool, he might have had something there. You know, it's funny. He, he couldn't say that. <laughs> It's funny, though, Trump never said about draining the swamp to all the people, you know, the audience is encouraging it, right? Or build the wall. That came from them, too. Just like with Ron Paul, he never talked about the Fed until all the college students said in the Fed. You know, so they're not really down with it. it you know, pick up a popular thread. Well, Murr, I actually had someone tell me recently that uh, Trump did build the wall. Well, they built bits and pieces. Yeah, and it uh, did exactly what? Nothing. Oh, it made have it worse. Well, have any, have, any of you, have any of you people ever been to, uh, um, you know, to uh, southern Arizona on the border? Have you ever been to Naco? Have you ever been to some of the other areas? Nogales. You know, one of the things that was pointed out to me when I lived in southern Arizona was, you know, go to a post office like uh, back then like Douglas, Arizona, which is right on the border. Go to the post office at the first of the month and see how many illegals from Mexico come across the border to pick up their welfare checks on <laughs> on the first of the month. It's, it, and they can climb over the wall and jump over the, jump, use it to jump over the swamp. <laughs> well, hey, there, there's parts of Southern California where I, I used to live out in East County, San Diego, near the border. There's parts of Southern California out here where there isn't even a wall at all. You like you don't you could accidentally walk over into Mexico if you're not careful. Well, Dave, in Southern Arizona, the wall is a three-strand barbed wire fence. I was just gonna say when I was out there in the '70s, I was taking pictures of the family sticking one foot under the fence. You know. I tell you, I was uh, one of the leaders of the Minuteman Project in 2005. Let me tell you, there is no wall. Now, near uh, there in, in Nogales, there was a bit of a wall, but one of the funny things that one of the Border Patrol agents told me, he said, when we were putting up the wall, we heard this funny noise, and we couldn't figure out what it was. And he said, so we kept going and trying to find out what that funny noise was, and he said, we finally did it with a, uh, with a drone. He said, we called in a drone to find out what the noise was on the other side. 
and he said the illegal or the uh, Mexican folks were actually welding steps into the wall so they could climb over it. Oh, good grief. <laughs> so what good's a wall going to do, guys? Build a better mousetrap, huh? Yeah. But like you said, in 2005, some of the ones coming across turned out to be Iranian, Iranians, right? Oh, um, Murr, that was one of the most unusual. And, and Jim, if I could impose on the group sure. here. I'll never forget that we were in the uh, headquarters in Tombstone uh, at the two, at the newspaper that was operated uh, and run by Chris Simcox, who was one of the leaders of the uh, Minuteman Project, who is now in federal prison. But anyway, uh, Chris Simcox, uh, <laughs> you know, we were we were talking about the issue uh, so many times there, and it became so hilarious about you know actually covering the border because you can't cover the border but we had a gentleman walk in and I'll never forget him his, his name was Johnson he came walking in to the uh, headquarters and he said uh, hey he said I was wondering if uh, I mean you know really a southern drawl for a member of the uh, Arizona and he said I was wondering if maybe you guys could uh, uh, follow me down to my my property down here he said my property's been in my family since before the Civil War and he said I was wondering he said we're right on the border here he said I've got two sections and he said I was wondering if you could come down here and take a look with me and I said yes sir mr. Johnson I'd be happy to well we rode down I followed him down to his property and we got out and he showed me some major thoroughfares where the illegals were using it to come across and he said, he told me, he said, you know, he said, back when I was a kid, he said, it wasn't any problem when these people came across. These people came across looking for work. And he said, many times they would come to us when they crossed the border and they would say, tell my dad, hey, uh, you know, we'll be happy to do some work for you for a, for a place to lay our heads tonight and maybe, maybe some food. And he said, we always did. He said, we gave them some trade. He said, they would do work around the ranch. And he said, we'd give them food and, and let, them, let them sleep, give them a place to sleep. And he said, and then on their way back to Mexico, after they had worked in the, you know, maybe California, wherever, he said, on their way back, they would do the same thing. He said, but that's all changed now. He said, they don't come across asking for anything. They come across taking and he said, they've, he took me to a place, he said, look, he said, they cut my fence. He was a rancher. He said, they cut my fence, just cut my fence. And he showed me a steer that they had killed and just cut out a couple of pieces of meat and left laying on the ground. And then they actually, you know, water in southern Arizona is a treasure. It's like gold. And they had actually turned on one of his spigots for one of his store water storage facilities and just left it running. And anyway, he invited us out. I'm going to try to make the story short here. He, he invited us out to watch a certain path. He said, man, he said, they come through here at nighttime. He said, you wouldn't believe it. So anyway, I went out. I looked at the area. I went back. I talked with, a, with our liaison with the Border Patrol. He was a sergeant. And I said, uh, are you familiar with Johnson's uh, ranch? He said, yeah, I am. 
I said, well, we're going out there tonight, and we're going to take a look because he said they come across there like crazy. I'm not going to use the old terminology because of where we are, but like pouring something out of a boot. So anyway, we get out there that night, and we've made contact with the Border Patrol. And we get out there that night, and suddenly we started seeing them come across. I mean, man, it was like, and, you know, we had some night vision equipment, and we started seeing them come across, and they were just walking across like crazy. And so we called the Border Patrol. I called the sergeant. He comes in, and he uh, talks with us, and he says, look, here's what we're going to do. He said, we're going to bring in a helicopter from the south side and hit them with a high-beam intensity light. And he said, then I've got agents set to move on them on this side. And he said, but you guys remember, once initial contact is made, you guys have to leave. That's our agreement. And I said, sure, no problem. So when uh, the helicopter comes over and they hit their high beam light, we, you could see them just in mass numbers. And then I noticed that the uh, Border Patrol agents started yelling, a census, a census, a census, which is Spanish for sit down. And nobody sat down. They just kept moving. And so anyway, to make it even shorter, a couple of days later at a restaurant in Sierra Vista, Arizona, we, uh, several of us from the Minuteman Project were having lunch, and the sergeant comes in, and we invite him over to our table. And I said, uh, he, he thanked us. He said, thank you so much for that heads up. He said, we got like 28 different people. And he said they were OTMs. And I said, pardon me, what is an OTM? And he said, other than Mexican. And I said, uh, well, where are they from? He said, I said, I noticed they didn't understand Spanish, or at least they didn't respond to it. And he said, yep. He said, we actually had to get a linguist from the University of Arizona in Tucson to come down. And he said, we finally found out that these people were from Iran. And I said, really? And he said, yeah. He said, they were from Iran. And I said, well, what happens to an OTM? And he said, well, they were carted up to Tucson where they were, appeared in federal court, and they were allowed uh, to uh, a bond to appear on their own recognizance. And I said, what? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, uh, sir, how many of those people actually show up for the trials? He said, you're kidding me, right? And I said, what? And he said, no, they just don't show up. They're released on their own recognizance into the United States, and they never show up. And I said, you mean to tell me that we let 27 Iranians just proceed into America with no monitor, no nothing? And he said, yep, that's pretty well it. And I said, is this SOP, Standard Operating Procedure? And he said, oh, yeah. He said, the federal courts aren't concerned with people coming across the border. And I said, was the, does that have anything to do with the fact that George W. Bush said that uh, while we were here, we were vigilantes and that we should cease and desist and allow the federal government to handle this issue? And he said, pretty much. So, Mer, that was kind of it. We, uh, I personally watched 27 Iranians infiltrate into America uh, and with no monitor, no nothing to keep up with them and the only thing I can think that happened in 2005 how many have come across since
Well, if, how many people just just uh, bought, get a tourist visa to fly to America and just never leave? I mean, that's never even talked about. That's true, Dave. Excellent point. Excellent point. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, over a million people a year are landing illegally. Uh, and, and with chain migration, each one of them can bring 10 people, up to 10 people from their family. Uh, then you've got the United Nations uh, Refugee Resettlement Program. It's really hard to get numbers on that one. God only knows how many refugees they bring in. And when they do that, you know, they, they give them an apartment. They make sure their refrigerator's full when they move in. Uh, they have make sure they have a, a check coming in. Uh, it, it's really incredible um, how they're setting these people up from all over the world. You know, of course, mostly from non-European countries. Well, when you're exclusively. When, well, Dave, when your government takes better care of illegal immigrants than it does its own people, that should be an indicator for everybody. Yeah. Well, it's part of a greater agenda. Uh, and uh, it, it, in a way, I think all this goes hand in hand with the, with the clot shot, because they convince all these Americans to sheepishly take the injection, and then they're they're replacing them very very rapidly with uh, foreigners and who don't care about the Constitution or any of that stuff. Uh, well, and they'll they'll do as they're told. That's the the bottom line. And they're giving them ivermectin. Oh, oh yes. Oh, God. Yeah, they gave him ivermectin. They didn't give him the shot. Good Mike. Lord. Yes, sir. Uh, I don't know if you remember a gentleman named Stan Monteith. He was out there for like 50 years ringing the bell, and he said he wrote, he made a movie called The Muslim Brotherhood. He said that some, I think since the 60s, they were bringing in, the American government was bringing in 100,000 Muslims a month into America, and that was probably one of the ways they were doing it right there, and you saw it. Oh, yes. Many times. We saw it over and over again. The other thing I saw when we were in Arizona, there on the border, the other thing I saw, and I actually had film of it at one time, was the fact that the Chinese army was doing maneuvers in northern Mexico, right on the U.S. border. And nobody says a word. You mean the Junies Army? Uh, yeah, that uh, one and the same. <laughs> yeah, Chinese brag. We're the Jews of Asia. And, yeah, it's, uh, go ahead, Mark. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say it's funny that you know, of course, we're uh, not only the Muslims, but the Iranians in particular. Muslim or not, is who the Israelis are constantly saying they're the enemy they want to go after, right? But there's Jewish Iranians, and so they can pump them in too, you know, and pretend that they're the enemy, but they're actually infiltrators. Well, are, are, how many of you folks are familiar with the name Tom Ridge? Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay, Tom Ridge was the first director of Homeland Security, right? Yes. How did he mess up and lose his job? Enforcing oh, immigration, something like that. Well, he made the classic mistake of coming on to uh, either Good Morning America or one of those shows, and they asked him about the border, and they asked him about uh, suitcase nukes, and he said, well, he said, we've been able to determine 
that at least four suitcase nukes have been brought across the southern border and we actually have the serial numbers they were purchased from the defunct Russian Empire the next day Tom Ridge is out at Homeland Security and remember he has an international airport named after him in Erie Pennsylvania imagine that Brett imagine that is that what they put in Say again. I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Is that when they put Skeletor in this place? Yes. That's what I thought. So here we are. The American government actually knew the serial number of four suitcase nukes that crossed the border. My question was immediately, how did they know the serial number? They're not they probably wrote them. Part of the plan. Well, I think you hit it, Mer. Well, guys, we're getting heavy rain here in uh, Middle Georgia. In case it sounds like I'm in the shower, I apologize. No problem. You got about two minutes left, so uh, any parting shots for the day? Go ahead and get them in. Well, guys. the one the one parting shot I want to advertise the fact that Jim, you're going to be on Republic Broadcasting Network with me on Saturday at 4 p.m. Eastern time on the Rebel Madman Radio, and I am really looking forward to that. You old copperhead, you. <laughs> me too. Me too. I got my alarm set and everything, so I won't forget again. <laughs> 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 well, I hope I don't forget. Uh, I think it'll be a good one. We'll have fun. But I have to tell you, I have to tell you, Jim, if Donald Trump calls me and he wants to be on, I might have to knock you off. Okay. I think we should both be on and tag team him. <laughs> yeah, I think so too, buddy. I think so too. How do you think you yeah. can get away with mass murder and all these people will still vote for you? That'd be my question. Yeah. That'd be a great question. Of course, nobody from CNN or even Tucker Carlson is going to answer that. Ask that question. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> hey. Hey, Joan, go ahead. Uh, those of y'all familiar with the Dixie Republic and Traveler's Rest, what percentage of the people there that go there do you think are Trump supporters? What percentage? <laughs> a lot more than should be. Half. I would say closer to 90%. Wouldn't you say, Mike? I think you're right, Jim. Yeah. Yeah, that's the problem. He's got so many people snowed that it, it just it, it just really slays me to see how how many people have died as a result of this stuff. And still, when he holds a rally, it's thousands of people show up and, you know, standing room only, and, and they can't fit them all in. It just uh, it, about, it bogs my mind. What about well, Jim, if, if you listen to the program on Saturday, Jim, you would notice that my good buddy, James Edwards, mm -hmm. was all embracing of Donald Trump because he said that taking down Confederate monuments shouldn't happen. He did nothing about it when he was president, but right. he said taking them down shouldn't happen. Yeah. You know, he says the right things. He does the wrong things. Oh, See Ronald it. Reagan all over again. Yep. So, but, so it's part of that 90% at, at um, Dixie Republic, the organizers, the people who run? I didn't it? get a chance to talk to Paul and the guys about it, but most of the people that are customers are. 
We'll have to cover this on another show, though, because we are out of time. And I want to thank Mike and Paul and, and, and excuse me, Mike and Cal and DW and everybody else for being here. Uh, take care of your bodies because it's the only place you have to uh, live. Have a wonderful weekend, and we'll see you all soon. Take care, and God bless.